Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us. And today is our birthday party for Jesus celebration. So if you're here on site, you probably saw all of the birthday decorations outside, streams, streamers, balloons, cake, all sorts of stuff. And if you're worshiping at home, we don't want to leave you guys out either. If you receive one of our Christmas experience boxes this week, then you receive some cake mix and some icing in the mail. And we hope you will bake yourself a cake and celebrate Jesus as well. And even if you did get one of those boxes, find some cake this afternoon. Now let's celebrate Jesus together. But speaking of our online audience, if you guys would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family here today. Well, where I grew up, the go-to place to have a kid's birthday party was this pizza place known as Mr. Getty's Pizza. And I don't think they have them in Oklahoma, but they have them in other states. They're in Kentucky and Tennessee and Louisiana and Texas and other states. And I used to love to go to Mr. Getty's Pizza for a lot of different reasons. One, they had a pizza buffet. So it was all-you-can-eat pizza. And as a kid, I would eat my weight in pizza. And they had pretty good pizza as well. This was also the first place that I ever came across a fountain drink station where you could like make your own drink and that's pretty typical now but it wasn't back then and so it was awesome to be able to get up there and mix your drink I would get one of everything in one cup you know what I'm talking about and I would just go through and get a little bit of Pepsi a little bit of Mountain Dew a little bit of Dr. Pepper a little bit of Sprite whatever and now that sounds disgusting to me but back then as a kid I loved to do it anybody do that as a kid ever okay so that's what I thought yeah but my favorite part about Mr. Getty's Pizza so they had an arcade. It was kind of like a miniature Chuck E. Cheese. You could play all these different arcade games. And one of my favorites was skee-ball. And I used to love to play skee-ball because I would get these. I would get tickets when I would play. And I would save up these tickets over time and get some sort of prize. And, you know, a lot of kids, they would cash their tickets in right away. And they would get a little cheap prize like a bouncy ball or stickers or candy or something like that. But I learned with, the, with experience, you could save up your tickets, bring them back, collect them, and then get a bigger prize. And I remember there was one birthday party I was invited to a friend of mine, and I had almost enough tickets to get this Michael Jordan plaque that they had. It had some ba- basketball cards in it, and I wanted this really bad. I'd been saving up my tickets forever, so I knew that I could probably get the most tickets playing skee-ball. And so the parents of this friend of mine, they gave every kid at this party a handful of tokens to go play games. And I played skee-ball one game after another, just trying to win as many tickets as I could. And back then, I was pretty good at it. I had a lot of practice. Let's see if I'm still good at it. I don't know. This is pressure with you guys watching, okay? Let's see if I can do this. Uh, Not quite. One more time. Oh, almost 40. I'm going to get 50. Here we go. Here we go. Nope, okay, never mind. I should have stopped when I was ahead. Okay, never mind, but that's embarrassing. However, I, I was pretty good at this. There goes one of the balls. Okay, you guys can pick that up later. All right, but back then, I was pretty good at it, and I played this game over and over and over again, and I knew by the time that I ran out of tokens at that birthday party, I had enough to get my Michael Jordan plaque, and then I counted up my tickets, and I was just a few short, and I was out of tokens, and it was time for us to go and cut the cake. So we went to the birthday party room, and my mom was there waiting for me because all the parents kind of hung around, you know. And I went to the party room, and my head was down, and I was really sad. And my mom looked at me, and she said, what's the matter, Chad? Are you not having a good time? I was like, no, I'm having a horrible time. I don't have enough tickets to get my Michael Jordan plaque. And I was kind of upset. And she looked at me. I'll never forget what my mom said to me. She goes, Chad, why are you upset? This isn't your party. We're not here for you. We're here to celebrate your friend. It's his birthday, and his parents have paid for you to have pizza and games and cake and all the works. You're here for your friend. It's his party, not yours. And at the time, as a kid, I thought she was being a little harsh and mean, but 
looking back at it, she was absolutely right. And sometimes I need that reminder this time of year as well. I don't know about you, but when I turn on the TV and watch commercials, I get online and see ads, walk through the stores, listen to people talk, I get the impression that everybody thinks Christmas is their birthday. I don't know about you. It's as if we make this season all about us and our wants and our needs and our desires. And yeah, those of us who claim to be Christians, yeah, we throw Jesus in there. We sprinkle him in there a little bit. But you kind of get the impression that Christmas is our birthday. And I think it's really easy this time of year with all the hustle and bustle, busyness, all the celebrating, the lights and decorations and all that cool stuff. It's really easy to lose sight of who we're supposed to be celebrating, whose party this really is. And I think that's why Mark starts out his gospel the way that he does. You guys probably know this. The New Testament begins with four books that recount, that retell the life of Jesus. They were written by four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who lived in the first century, who God inspired to write accounts of Jesus' life, historical narratives of Jesus' life. And each of the four gospel writers, they start off telling us about Jesus' life and ministry in a little different way. For instance, Luke, he begins by talking about how an angel appeared to Mary, you know, Jesus' earthly mother, and he tells us how uh, this angel foretold Jesus' birth, and then talks about how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and how shepherds came and visited him, and angels declared to the shepherds that he'd been born, all that good stuff, all that part of the Christmas story that we typically look at this time of year. Matthew gives us a little bit different perspective. Matthew tells us Joseph's side of the story, Jesus' earthly father, and about how an angel appeared to him and foretold Jesus' birth. And then we find out again, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but then two years later, some magi from the east, wise men from the east, come and they give Jesus these great, magnificent, expensive gifts to honor him, to honor his birth. Now, John takes a little bit different approach. John kind of takes a cosmic view of Jesus' birth and talks about how Jesus has always been God and with God from the very beginning and how Jesus coming to the earth was basically God putting on flesh, and he takes this cosmic view of Jesus' birth. But then we have Mark's gospel, and Mark introduces us to Jesus in a little different way. He doesn't talk about wise men or shepherds. He doesn't even mention Mary or Joseph. He doesn't take a cosmic approach or anything like that. Now, this is how John, this is how Mark, this is how Mark decides to introduce us to Jesus, the greatest life that was ever lived, the Son of God. Listen to what Mark says. Mark says, the beginning of the gospel, that word just means good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, ahead of Jesus, who will prepare Jesus' way. A voice of one calling out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Mark starts off his account of Jesus' life by saying, this is the beginning of Jesus' life. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. And then what does he do? He tells us about somebody else. He tells us about this guy named John. You may know him as John the Baptist. Now, don't get all caught up in that title, the Baptist. That technically wasn't his title. It's not like he would hand somebody a business card like he would say, hey, I'm John, attorney at law. Hey, I'm John the Baptist. That wasn't technically a title. In Greek, that just described what he did. Literally, what it means is John the baptizer, the one who baptized people. That's what that means. 
we're introduced to John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And I think that's a little odd because we don't get anything about Jesus' birth from Mark. We don't get anything about shepherds and wise men or Mary and Joseph. We're just told about this other guy named John. Why is that? Well, I think there's a very important reason for that. Because I think John the baptizer, John the Baptist, he exemplifies the attitude that we are to have when it comes to Christ because John was one who never forgot who the celebration was really all about. He was one who never forgot who the good news was really all about. He was one who never took his eyes off the hope of the world, Jesus. Now, John had a lot of reason, I guess, to be proud of himself if he wanted to. If there was ever somebody who had a reason to to have a super inflated ego, it was definitely John. I don't know if you know much about his background, but John could have had an oversized ego. You know why? He came from the same family as Jesus. He was from the same family line. And not only that, he was a cousin to Jesus. He was an older cousin to Jesus. So he comes from the same family line, and he's older than Jesus. And for some people, age really matters. When you're older, you know, that means something. And so he could have played that hard if he wanted to, that he had more life experience by at least a few months than Jesus had. Could have done that. Not only that, an angel appeared to John's parents and foretold his birth as well. And this angel appeared to them and said, you're going to have a son. And let me just ask, did any of your guys' parents have an angel appear to you before you were born? One didn't appear to my parents. And listen to what the angel says to John's parents. The angel says, he, speaking of their son John, will be a joy and a delight to you. The angel definitely didn't say that about me, I'll tell you that. But he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He'll spread joy because of his very birth. And then, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Can you imagine having an angel appear to You, before your kids were born, and saying that about your kids, or maybe an angel appearing to your parents and saying that about you, that's pretty incredible. The heavens were talking about John before he was ever born. How cool is that? Fast forward just a little bit, and we see John starts his preaching and teaching ministry. And he decides to do his preaching and teaching in the Judean desert. Now, what you need to know is nobody lived in the Judean desert. Nobody wanted to visit the Judean desert for that matter. And John's out there preaching and teaching. And listen to what the Bible says about this. It says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, to John, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, I want you to understand, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem We're talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people came out to see John, meet him, hear his preaching, and then be baptized by him. Some biblical scholars make the claim that John, at this point in history, was probably the most popular, influential man in all Judea. If anybody had the right to have an oversized, superinflated ego, he was John. I mean, later on, when Jesus starts his ministry, after John already started his, listen to what Jesus himself says about John the Baptist. Jesus says, I tell you that among those born of women, I think that's all of us. Anybody not born of a woman? Okay, I didn't think so. Yeah, I think that's all of us. I tell you, among, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. How cool would it have been for Jesus, the Son of God, to say that about you? 
Can you imagine God saying about you, of those born of women, no one is greater than Chad, or plug in your name there. Wouldn't say that about me, but still, can you imagine? And it's not just that Jesus said it, it's recorded in Scripture, and Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It is eternally recorded that among those born of women, no one's greater than John. If anybody had a reason to have a superinflated ego, it was John. And yet, every single time that we meet John in the Gospels, every single time we encounter him, every single time he speaks, He's always taking attention off himself and he's pointing people to Jesus. In fact, listen to his message. In Mark 1 verse 7 it says, and this was John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John said over and over again, don't get caught up in me. There's one coming after me who's more powerful than I. There's one coming after me who's greater than me. And you need to be looking for him because this one who's coming after me, he's the long way to Messiah. He's the one who's going to bring salvation to the world. He's the one who's going to bring forgiveness of sins. He's the one who's going to reconcile you to God. He's the one who's going to bring meaning and purpose to your lives. He is the one who's going to change everything. This one who's coming after me is going to be a game changer, and you need to be ready for him. And John said this over and over and over again because John knew that only through Jesus can we experience real and lasting hope. Only through Jesus can we have the hope that our souls are longing for. And that's why over and over again, as John preached, he always pointed to Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says about him. The Bible goes on to say, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, speaking of the light of Jesus, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He was aware of that. He wasn't the light. It wasn't about him. It wasn't his party. He came only, look at that word only, only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He came only as a witness. He came only to reflect the true light that was coming into the world. I love a lot about this time of year. For many of us, it's our favorite time of year, and I get it. But there's one thing I don't like about this time of year. And I don't like the fact that it gets dark so early. I don't know about you, but I love all the festive stuff of this time of year, but I hate the fact that it gets dark so early because I don't like darkness. I like light. I like sunlight. I really do a lot. And so when it's 5.30 and it's almost dark, I mean, I just, I'm ready to go to bed, you know. I just don't really like that. And so what's interesting is there have been times when my family, we've been out at, you know, 6 o'clock, 6.30, whatever. We're driving around, and it's dark by that point. And my daughter, Addie, will always do something. She will always find the moon. She loves the moon, and she'll point it out. I mean, we can go out five nights in a row, and it's dark, and she'll find the moon. Some she'll say, look, Mommy, Daddy, the moon, the moon, as if it wasn't there the night before, you know. But she'll find the moon, and she wants to point it out. And what's interesting is she especially loves it when there's a full moon. She doesn't call it a full moon. She'll just say, look, Mommy and Daddy, a whole moon. Look at that whole moon up there. And it's so cute when she does. 
And I asked Addie one time, you know, she's three, I asked her, why is it that you love the moon so much? And she said, because it's bright and I don't like it when it's dark. And I get that. I don't like it when it's dark. And yeah, the moon is bright, but something I haven't explained to Addie just yet because she's three, but you guys know. The moon in and of itself isn't capable of producing light. It doesn't produce any light. Why does the moon shine so bright? Because it reflects, its surface reflects the light of the sun. The moon is only a rocky planetary mass, unable of producing, creating its own light, but it is designed to reflect the light of the sun. And I think that's what John did. John understood he didn't have the ability or the power to create light in this dark world, but this world needed it. And so he saw it as his only job, his only goal, his only mission to do whatever he possibly could to reflect the light into the world, the true source of light, Jesus. And I think that's what we're here to do as well. We're here to reflect the light into the dark places that surround us. And I think we are all very much aware of just how dark this world can be at times. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, look at what he says in 2 Corinthians. Paul tells us, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to be doing, especially during this season. We're in a season right now where everybody is singing and talking about Jesus. This is the perfect time for us to tell people who Jesus really is. We're here to reflect the glory of God everywhere we go, whether that's when we're in Walmart or Target or at our workplace or in school or in our neighborhood or on the ball field or online, wherever we are. We're here to reflect the character, the nature of God. We are here to reflect light into this dark world. And that's what John did. John continued to reflect light. And I think because he reflected light, people were drawn to him. I mean, have you ever wondered how in the world John got such an audience to come and hear him? Because when you think about it, John didn't come from nobility or royalty John didn't have a whole lot of money or influence or anything like that. John wasn't classically educated. He didn't have an elite education. John didn't ride around on an elephant or a white horse. You know, he didn't have the best ride in town or anything like that. John, John wasn't a polished public speaker. He wasn't even a polished public figure for that matter. Listen to how the Bible describes John. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. Now, I know that 2,000 years separates us from John the Baptist, but that wasn't normal back then either, okay? I just want to let you know. That was a little bit odd. And he ate locusts and wild honey coming to a restaurant near you, okay? I mean, this wasn't normal back then. This wasn't the diet that anybody wanted back then either. Some people have called John a redneck. <laughs> Other people have called John just weird and odd, strange. But I think all biblical scholars agree John was the antithesis of anyone, of anyone who had influence in his day and age. And yet, he was more popular than anybody. And yet, thousands upon thousands of people came to see him, hear him preach, listen to his message, and be baptized by him. Why? Because of the message that he preached. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John gave the people 
hope. He let them know that the way things are are not the way that things always have to be. That there's one coming who is going to change everything. There's one coming who can heal your brokenness. There's one coming who can forgive your sin. There's one coming who can shine light into the midst of your dark life. There's one coming who can bring love to your loneliness, hope to your hopelessness. The hope of the world is coming. And I think that's what the people in John's day desperately needed. Because they had just experienced 400 years of chaos 400 years of bloodshed and war where everything was extremely unstable. And now during John's life, things have calmed down a little bit. In fact, Rome was at peace. This is a period of time known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And all the political leaders are saying, look, we're at peace, we're at peace. Everything is wonderful and great, and you're living in the greatest empire that's ever existed. And yet the people's hearts were not at peace. You know why? Because they had some crazy maniacs, selfish egomaniacs, ruling over them. Listen to what Luke tells us. During the time when John was preaching, it says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of, Ze- son of Zechariah in the desert. Now, I know those are a bunch of names there, but you know who Luke is telling us about? First of all, he starts at the top of the food chain to the, with the Caesar, Tiberius. And Tiberius, egomaniac, he ordered that people worshipped him as a god. I mean, he's full of himself for sure. And if anybody opposed him, he put him to death right away. That's why there was peace. He put to death any opposition right away. He was a crazed, crazed egomaniac. Then we learn about Pilate. You probably remember him from the, from the trial of Jesus. Pilate was just your typical corrupt politician. Not that all politicians are corrupt, but your typical corrupt politician. And he was one who just did whatever he needed to do to stay in power. You know people like that? He didn't do what was best for the people. He did what was best for Pilate. And then we hear about Herod Antipas and Philip. These were the sons of Herod the Great, and they were just as crazy as their father was. They were rulers appointed by Rome. And these men, they ruled by oppression and fear. The Jewish people were scared to death of the Herodian family. And then we learn about the religious leaders, Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest. And you might be wondering, but I thought there's only one high priest. Why are there two names mentioned? Well, Annas was actually the high priest that the Jewish people had appointed, but Rome didn't like him. So the Roman government appointed their own high priest, Caiaphas, because he was more in their pocket. And so you had two high priests, and they were of the same family, so they got along, and they were willing to reign as high priests side by side just so they wouldn't lose their power. And let me tell you something. If anybody threatened their religious power, they put an end to them. That's why they ended up putting Jesus to death. These were the people who were reigning, ruling over the people of Judea. And yes, there may have been peace on the surface, but people's hearts were not at peace N.T. Wright in his commentary about this list of names says behind this list of names and places is a story of oppression and misery that was building to an explosion point. Everybody knew they couldn't go on as they were. Something had to happen. People knew there had to be something more. What the Roman government was promising them, there had to be something more. What their culture was promising them, there had to be something more. What everybody else was chasing after, there had to be something more. Everybody knew there had to be something more than just this cookie-cutter existence that the world had passed down to them. 
And that's when John enters the scene. No-name John from a no-name family who dressed himself in camel fur hair and ate locust and honey. And people flocked to John because John said, our hope isn't in this world, isn't in the things and stuff, the power, the influence of this world. Our hope is in the one who's coming, the Son of God. And I believe that that's the message that our culture needs to hear today as well. Because when we reflect Jesus, the weary world finds hope. That's why we're calling our series The Thrill of Hope. It comes from a line of a classic Christmas song. We sang it just a second ago, Oh Holy Night. And the line of the song is, a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices. It's talking about the birth of Jesus brings a thrill of hope and the weary world rejoices. And I think that's what our culture needs right now more than ever to experience the thrill of hope again. Because this past year, it's been tough. We all know it. Somebody sent me a text message the other day with this picture. And this picture, if you read it, it says, let's hope this is just a typo and not the season finale of 2020. And I don't know if you can read what this says, but it says 499 cookies for Satan. I think they meant to type Santa, but if you get the letters mixed up, look, look what happens, okay? But doesn't that kind of describe 2020, honestly? Guys, this has been a weary, weary year. Anxiety is high, depression is on the rise, loneliness continues to grow, fear is increasing. For many people, 2020 has been a weary year. But Jesus came to invade our weariness with hope. He came to let us know we are loved by God, that God has not forgotten about us, that he has a plan for our lives, and what we see around us is not all there is, that he is greater than the pain and the heartache and the hurt that we are experiencing, and he is preparing for us a better life, and we have the hope of heaven now living within us. Jesus came to invade our weariness with hope, and that's why every single time that John preached, he said, don't look at me, don't pay attention to me. Look to him because he's the hope of the world. And I love in John 1 verse 29, whenever Jesus comes where John was preaching, and look at what happens. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. John says, you want hope? You want peace that passes understanding? You want to experience true and everlasting love? You want to live out the promises of God? You want purpose and meaning for your life? Look to him. He's the lamb. And he is the hope of the world. And maybe what you need to do today is look to the lamb. Look to Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem. Because when you do, he will illuminate your life. And not only that, he will allow you to reflect his light to the dark places of this world. It's kind of like this compact mirror that I have up here with me. This isn't mine, I promise. Uh, I had to get it from somebody else. I don't carry a mirror around with me. But some of you guys mine, that's okay. But what's interesting about this mirror is a lot like the moon. In and of itself, this mirror does not generate, create light on its own. 
But it does have the ability to catch the light. And when it catches the light, it will illuminate the mirror, but also it will reflect it to others. See, right now, some of you guys, I'm probably blinding right now. I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but I'm probably blind. In fact, look, look at the screen right now. You ready? Here we go. Woo, see that? Woo, that's great, isn't it? Okay, that's enough fun with that. One, one more time. There we go. Woo, okay. All right. Uh, and this is how we're supposed to live. See, what we got to do is we got to find the source of light. We got to find the source of light. If you want to, there you go, find the source of light. We got to realize it's not us. And our source of light and hope is not anyone else or anything that this world has to offer. The source of light is Jesus. We've got to find him. Then after we find him, we've got to turn our lives toward him. We've got to point our lives in the direction of him so that he illuminates our lives. And then after he lights up our lives, then we reflect his light into the darkness. And when we do, it changes the world around us. I mean, just imagine if we all had little mirrors like this right now. We all started to reflect one another's light. You know what it would do? It would be like a disco ball in here, you know? We'd have a party. Just go ahead and play that disco music. You know, ah, ah, ah. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm kidding. No, not really. I'm, but let, we would be a party, right? And I think that's what was going on in the desert during the time of John. People were flocking to John because they finally had reason to celebrate again. They finally had joy they finally had meaning and purpose to their existence. They realized why they were created, and they were being reconciled to their God. And it brought joy and excitement to those who were living a hopeless existence. And that's what we're here to do, to extend the party that is the birth of Jesus to the world. And I wonder if that's what we're known for. John was able to extend the party because this was his mindset. John said that he must become greater and I must become less and less. In other words, Jesus must become greater and greater and I must become less and less because John knew that only when there's less of me will there be more room for God to work in my life. And when we make the party all about Jesus, when we make our lives all about him, there is more room for God to work in us so that we extend the party to those who desperately need the thrill of hope. That's why God was able to use no-name John in such a powerful way because that's how God works. Over and over again in Scripture, you will see that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary work. And you might be thinking, I don't have a whole lot of talents and abilities and resources. It doesn't matter. God is greater than all that. And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary work. And when you point your life in his direction, when you allow him to be the light of your life and you just reflect him, that's all you got to do. Reflect his love, his character, his attributes. He will use you to do incredible things. Because when we reflect, when we reflect Jesus, the weary world finds hope. I got a call two weeks ago from my mom my mom who gave me the advice about skee-ball and the birthday party, you know. <laughs> she called me to give me some news I didn't want to hear. My grandma, her mom, who's been in a nursing home for the past few years, got a positive COVID test. And she's in her upper 80s. Her health isn't great. And that was scary, scary news. And my grandma, it's been two weeks now, and she's had some symptoms, but she's okay, and we're still praying for her. She's not out of the woods yet, but 
She's doing okay. But I remember when I first got that phone call, my mom's telling me, she's emotional, as you can imagine. One, because it's her mom. But two, none of the family could be with my grandma. She was isolated from everyone else. And I remember as I was listening to my mom, emotional, talking about this, when she finally paused, I just said, Mom, are you okay? And she said, Chad, your grandma had strong faith, still does. She's a godly woman. And she taught me about Jesus, and because of that, I have strong faith. And then I've been able to teach you about Jesus. And I know your faith is strong. And she said, Chad, does it hurt? Is it scary? Yeah. But she said, all these years, I haven't been believing fairy tales. My hope is real. And your grandma's hope is real. And whatever happens, that hope will win. Guys, you can't manufacture hope like that. You can't buy it or purchase it. You can't achieve it. You only find it in the light of the world, Jesus. That's why John wanted everyone to know this Jesus who is coming after him. And what's cool is I love this verse that we looked at a little bit ago, it says, I tell you among those born of women, this is Jesus speaking, there is no one greater than John, but I didn't read the second part of that verse. Look what Jesus goes on to say, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The kingdom of God is the church, God's new people, his New Testament people, that's us. And Jesus says, right now, there's no one greater than John, but the one who is least in my coming kingdom will be greater than John. See, Jesus intends for us to do greater work than what John even did. And when we point our lives in his direction, he'll do just that. Because the hope that he shines into our life, that he gives to us, it is contagious. It's what the world needs. And it can literally change people's lives. And that's why we're celebrating today. That's why we've got cake and we've got streamers and balloons and all sorts of stuff outside if you're here on our campus. That's why we sent you guys at home birthday cake supplies because we want you guys to celebrate. We have reason to celebrate today because our hope is real. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a classic children's story alone. This is a true story. Our hope is real today. And because of that, we have reason to celebrate. Because here's the thing about Christmas. Christmas is Jesus' party, but it's our gift. It's his party. It's all about him. He's the focus. He's the birthday boy. It's his party. But when you realize it's his party, you're the one that gets the gift. You're the one that gets hope that this world can't give you. Let's celebrate the gift of hope, the thrill of hope that the one born in Bethlehem has brought to you and me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today and we thank you for the hope that you give us in your son, Jesus. And we want to celebrate that today. It is his party 
And we want to lift him up and we want to honor him. And we know that when we do, when we celebrate him, we get the gift, the hope of heaven. So, Father, may we take that hope and let it guide our lives, but also may we reflect it to others. May other people see it in us and through us. And when they do, the party will extend and spread across this world. What our world needs now more than ever is the thrill of hope. May we reflect Jesus so they can experience just that. In his name I pray, amen.